Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Well, good morning, Mercy Church. How you doing? Good. It is so good uh, to be with you uh, today. Um, if I have not met you yet, uh, my name is Scott Urbanic, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I've had the joy, almost to the day, uh, this will be three years, coming up on three years uh, for me and my family being here. Uh, we moved here to Charlotte because we believed in a church that had a vision that wanted to reach the planet with the gospel. And in my three years, I've learned a lot of things, and I've seen our church grow in some pretty amazing ways. Um, and I tell guests all the time who are checking out our church, you know, we're not a perfect church. We're not. You know, you, could, you know that. We're not a perfect church. But God is doing something here. God is doing something here, and I love being a pastor who's a part of that. And today, as we jump back into our Ten Commandments series, uh, if you're new with us, uh, this week we've been in a series called Ten Ways to Be Perfect. It's called Ten Ways to Be Perfect. And when you look at the series title, our hope was that you would question it a little. Like, can we really be perfect in God's eyes by obeying these commands? And of course, the answer is no. You know, we can't live out these commands perfectly. That's the point. You know, these commandments show us our need for a Savior. It shows us uh, that we need a Savior that would live out these commands perfectly in our place. This series, I think it's been a really strong one. I've loved every sermon in this series because what we have seen is that we break all of these commands way worse than we thought, right? Way worse than we thought. And some of you might have read the Ten Commandments before we started this series, and you were like, ha, have no other gods before me? Boom, I've got that one. I worship God. I worship Jesus. I am good. But then, but then you realize that while you may profess Jesus as Lord, you notice that maybe your job has become your God. Or the approval of others has become your God. Or maybe it's success. Or maybe the welfare of your kids. And you worship those things as if they are God. The Ten Commandments, y'all, it's like a surgical scalpel to our hearts. It exposes us for who we really are, and it brings us back to reality. The Ten Commandments show us that our hearts are wicked deep down to the core, and it shows us that we need God. We need God. And as Pastor Spence mentioned last week, there are are two tables or two focuses to the Ten Commandments. So the first table deals with our vertical relationship with God. By that, I mean, you know, we, like if, if this isn't right, if our vertical relationship with God is not right, then our horizontal or the second table of the Ten Commandments, if, if, if th- that thing won't be right because our, if this isn't right with God, then our vertical relationships will never work. So today we are in week two of the second table of the Ten Commandments, and the second table of the Ten Commandments, again, deals with our relationship with others. Now, if you've read ahead in the the Ten Commandments, you know that today's verse is short and to the point. But even though it's short, it brings a punch. You know, it's kind of like a Mike Tyson type verse. It may not be as big, but man, does it hit hard. This next commandment is found in Exodus 20, verse 13. So please turn there. 
Um, and as you're turning there, uh, we're going to follow the same pattern that we've been doing all series. Uh, we're going to look at what it says. We're going to look at how we break this command and then where we go from here. So what does it say? How do we break this command? And where do we go from here? So let me pray for us and then we'll get going. Uh, God, we love you this morning. And God, we need you. Lord, we need you to see this commandment rightly. Lord, help us prepare our hearts to hear your word. God, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's read and look at what Exodus 20, verse 13 says. Here's what it says, verse 13. Do not murder. Pretty simple, right? All right, don't murder people. Got it. No explanation needed, pastor. It's time to go to Bojangles. We're good to go, right? You know, this command is simple, right? You know, don't murder people. But it's much bigger than that. You see, like all the other commandments, God is going to expose the depths of our hearts with this one. But before we dive deeper into this verse, I think there's one foundational truth that all of us need to understand if we're going to understand this commandment rightly. So if we're going to understand this commandment, write this down. We need to know this foundational truth. All people are created in the image of God. So all people are created in the image of God. So of all the things that God created, people are at the pinnacle. In Genesis 1, we see that God created everything, the entire universe in six days. And after everything he's, that he created, he said that it was good. But on the sixth day, it says this, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So men and women carry the image of God to our world. But notice this, it wasn't until after God created man and woman that we see God say this. He saw all that he had made and it was very good indeed. So don't let this wash over you. We have to understand the depth of what this means. My fear is that we have lost sight of what it means to be made in the image of God. God didn't create the man and the woman, notice this, in the same way as he created everything else. With everything else in God's creation, God spoke it into existence. He said, let there be stars, let there be oceans, land, plants, and animals, but not with the man and the woman. That's not how he created them. He didn't speak them into being. Like a master craftsman, he formed them and he molded them. His creation of them was deeply intimate. And it's amazing when you actually see it in Scripture. So let's read it together. All right, so God created everything. He spoke it into existence. And then Genesis 2-7 says this, Then the Lord, form, the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed life into his nostrils. And the man became a living being. I love that. So it wasn't words. It wasn't God speaking and then a cosmic explosion of creation. Adam wasn't spoken into being. It said that God formed him out of the dust. And then just like a father holding his newborn son, he then breathed life into his nostrils and he became alive. He became a living being. 
That's amazing. And then look at how he created Eve. It was just as beautiful. It says, but for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh in that place. Then the Lord God made the rib that he had taken from the man into a woman, and he brought her to him. God took his time making Eve. He took her from Adam's side as he slept and beautifully molded her. Right here is where we see God's creativity and intentionality. The creation of Adam and Eve was intimate, it was personal, and it was loving, and it should bring awe to all who read it. But quick question, is this how you view God and how he created you? I mean, God took his time, nine months, right? God took his time. The scripture said you were knit in your mother's womb. You were put together. The God's creation of man, when we see this in this account, it tells us all that we need to know about how much God views people, how much he loves and values people. We aren't accidents. People aren't mistakes. People are created to be his image bearers on the earth. Image bearers are to bring light. We are to bring hope to a hurting world. We are to help cultivate the world for human flourishment. Human life is the most sacred thing in all creation. And we honor God by respecting his image in other people, which means constantly preserving life and furthering each other's welfare in all ways possible. Life should be honored and protected from womb to the grave. We have to understand this if we're going to understand the weight and depth of God's command to us to not murder. You know, I think God has a lot of reason to rebuke us today. You know, in our culture, we have lost sight in a lot of ways of what it means to be made in the image of God. You know, all we have to do is look at Twitter, right? I mean, recently, there were a couple of famous athletes that died tragic deaths. And within minutes of that news breaking, people were making jokes at their expense like, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. He wasn't that good of a player anyways. Like, are you kidding me? They died. Like, are we that calloused? And I think God's answer to that would be yes, we are. We have lost sight of what it means to be made in God's image. So to destroy someone by murdering them would be to destroy the very thing that God chose to bear his image on earth. God takes that very seriously. And this command should not be taken lightly. Okay, so we look just now at what it says. Now let's look at how we break it. So we know what the command says, but what about New Covenant believers? Does this command still apply to us in the same way? The answer is yes, but also more than we think it does. Yes, but more than we think it does. Yes, in that we shouldn't murder people with our hands, but also more because when Jesus preached on this commandment, he raised the bar for what murder means. When Jesus preached this, to this topic in Matthew chapter 5, he told us that we break this command in two ways. So write this down. We break this command in two ways. We break this command with our hands, and we break this command with our hearts. So we break it with our hands and with our hearts. So let's check out Jesus' sermon on this command in Matthew chapter 5. So if you'll turn there with me, Matthew chapter 5. Um, we'll probably camp out there for the rest of the sermon. And since Jesus was the greatest preacher of all time, I'm just going to preach to you what he did on this sermon uh, or on this topic. So I'm going to get right out of the way, and here's what Jesus said. Matthew 5, verse 21. 
You have heard it said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So Jesus said again, you have heard it said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. He was saying that we are not to kill anyone with our hands, because if we do, we are subject to the judgment of God. God will hold us accountable for that. But this commandment, you know, they, they knew, the hearers knew what he was talking about. This was from the Ten Commandments. But then Jesus raised the bar. Look what he said in verse 22. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So God has made them the same. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. Did you see what Jesus did there? He expanded the parameters of what murder actually means. Murder isn't just something that we do with our hands. We do it with our hearts too. So 10 years ago, I was... Um, I was living with some guys from college, and I remember, I remember being mad at one of my roommates, uh, Devin. So Devin was a guy I really looked up to. Uh, he really loved Jesus. He loved the Bible. But for some reason, I can't remember, my, I can't remember why. I don't know. Maybe he ate the last, last Hot Pocket or something. Uh, but I was mad at him, right? I was mad at him. Uh, so I pulled him aside, and I said, man, I'm really angry with you about, you know, whatever. I can't actually remember what it was. Uh, maybe it was Hot Pocket. I don't know. So but you know what? He could tell that I was mad. And he could tell that I'd been mad for some time now. And before I even got into what I was saying, he said this. He said, oh, no. How long have you been murdering me in your heart? <laughs> He's like, how, how long have you been murdering me in your heart? And looking back now, I can see what he was doing. He was helping me in that moment to continue to not sin. But at the time, I was like, do not murder me in your heart. What are you talking about, dude? Like, like you need to chill out. But, but like Jesus, my friend was showing me that I had a problem. I had a heart problem. I know that sounds absurd, but the reality is true. For weeks, I had been murdering my heart and uh, murdering my friend in my heart, and he didn't even know about it. So going back to these verses, we know that murdering someone with our hands is wrong because they carry God's image. But now we know that murdering some—it's also murder to someone with—it's uh, also murder. If we hate them in our hearts, right? We do this in our hearts as well. And Jesus shows us two primary ways that we break this command with our hearts. Let's look at those. Two ways we break this command with our hearts. Anger, that's the first one. And the second one is insulting others. So anger and insulting others. So let's look at anger for a moment. So what kind of anger is Jesus talking about? Because not all anger is sin, right? You know, there is such a thing as righteous anger. We see, you know, we see that with God's wrath against sin. God's anger towards sin is holy and it is right. And we also see that there are other examples of righteous anger that's acceptable for people to have. For example, maybe it's anger out of love. You know, Martin Luther said this, anger out of love, one that wishes no evil, one that is friendly to the person but hostile to the sin. Did you see that? Luther is saying that it is possible to be angry out of love. Another example is being angry about injustice, right? If you see someone being mistreated, you know, you respond by calling it out for what it is and then doing something to help them. 
But Jesus is talking about anger that leads to murder in our hearts. He's talking about something different. So Jesus isn't condemning all forms of anger. Jesus is against anger that is scoped to harm people in our hearts. Does that make sense? So people are made in his image, and Jesus is saying that is murder when we do that. So let's look at some ways that we murder each other in our hearts. The first one is envy. The first one is envy. And envy is a feeling of ill will towards someone because they have what you want. It's a feeling of ill will towards someone because they have what you want. And envy turns to anger. We do this all the time, right? We start to resent someone because they started dating the person that you liked or you get envious or jealous because they got the job that you really wanted. So because that person has what you want, you think about it all the time and that bitterness turns into anger and then murder in your heart. Or maybe they're getting the attention that you want from other people. You know, this used to happen to me. There's a guy uh, that everyone liked. This guy was so stinking cool. Hated this guy. Uh, His name was Steve. Uh, What kind of name is Steve, right? You know, well, Steve's a normal name, but in my head, in the moment, I was like, you know, Steve's a dumb name because that's his name, right? So Steve, uh, so Steve, let me tell you, Steve loved himself some Steve. You know, like he loved, he loved himself some Steve. And every conversation turned into a story that was cooler than my story, right? A fish that he caught that was bigger than my fish. A vacation that he took that was bigger and better than mine. And of course, he had the pictures on Instagram to prove it, right? He got all the attention from all the people that I wanted attention from. And I was constantly thinking to myself and even saying to other people, does this guy ever stop talking about himself? Like, seriously, this guy is always talking about himself. You know what? Envy and pride does that. It wells up in us like that. And what's interesting is the most prideful people are always the ones who are most offended by the pride in someone else, right? The most prideful people are always the ones who are most offended by the pride in someone else because that person is now competing with your pride. And that was me and Steve. Steve. You know, I, you know I'm now murdering him in my heart right now, you know? No, uh, but, but seriously, you know, Deep down, Steve, instead of my anger and my jealousy, what he needed was my compassion. Deep down, I was murdering this man in my heart. And instead of feeling compassion and love, I dehumanized Steve. I made him out to be the enemy instead of my own sin. When in reality, he should have been my brother. And I should have had compassion upon him. Because for some reason, deep down, he might be insecure. And that's why he's acting that way. He needs Jesus. But no, I was prideful. Because I was envious. The second one is deceit. So we have envy, now we have deceit. And this means that you're dishonest or misleading with the intent of harming someone. So this could mean taking credit at work for an idea that someone else came up with because you don't like them. Or this means twisting the truth when you're gossiping about someone to paint them in a bad light. The Lord tells you today, don't do that to someone made in his image. 
Stop trying to strip his image away from them. Don't do that, he says. The third one is malice. So malice is a desire to see harm come upon someone. And I'm sure you've heard it said before. Maybe you've said this. I hope he or she gets what's coming to them. How many of you have ever daydreamed about beating the snot out of somebody else because you didn't like them? I don't see any hands in the room. Y'all are all lying. You've all had that moment. You know, for some reason, it feels good to our sinful flesh to imagine harm coming upon someone, and we justify it by saying, well, it feels good because I'm never actually going to do it with my hands, so it feels good to imagine it. And Jesus tells you today that when you desire, some, when you desire harm to come upon someone, it is just as if you are actually doing it to them. You're committing murder in your heart. You're taking someone made in his image and you're tearing them down. The fourth one, and this one is really, y'all, this one's really difficult. I'm just going to let you know. It's unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness at its core is anger. Unforgiveness is hard, and it really is. It's, It's a hard one. Because oftentimes it starts with you actually being the one who was wronged, right? It actually starts with you being the one who was sinned against. But if it leads to unforgiveness, then that becomes your sin issue. That becomes your anger. And sometimes these things start out small. Maybe it's a comment, you know, an off, I don't know, off off the cuff comment that hurt your feelings, you know, and, and instead of then and there just going and saying, hey, you know, that that really hurt my feelings, you know, can we talk about it? Instead of doing that, some of us are so afraid of conflict, and we think that it's best maybe to just not bring it up. We don't want to stir the pot. You know, I can just move on. It's just not that big of a deal. Well, that's what we say. But all we've done is allow a small seed of bitterness to get planted in our hearts. And what do seeds turn into? Trees. Seeds turn into trees, and uprooting trees and trees of bitterness rips out a lot when we try to do that, and it's really difficult to do. It takes time, so, so snatch that seed out of there when it's there now. Don't let it turn into a tree. You know, I also think that, um, you know, some people might have actually been sinned against in a really horrible way. You know, and you might say, Pastor, I understand what you're saying. I understand the heart of what you're saying right now. But you don't understand what this person did to me. You don't understand. It, it was horrible. And I just want you to know you're right. I, you know, I, I, I don't understand. I don't. You know, it was probably awful. I don't doubt that for a second. You know, I probably don't understand. But listen, holding on to anger... And being unwilling to forgive someone, it will enslave you. It is so easy to let the chains of anger to enslave and to envelop your life. And then your life becomes, everything becomes colored by your anger rather than grace. Unforgiveness deep down can often, I've found in my own life, can be a lack of understanding of the gospel. Y'all, we have wronged, I have wronged Jesus Way more than anyone else has ever wronged me. 
Yet he joyfully, Jesus joyfully and willingly and enthusiastically went to the cross because he loves you. Now listen, let me pause for a moment because I don't say this lightly. I know that might have cut you a little bit. And this one hits home for me personally because as a child, I was, some, I was sexually abused as a child by someone close to our family. That never should have happened to me. It was horrible. What was done to me as a little boy, as a six-year-old boy, should not have happened. But as a 33-year-old man today, I stand up here and I'm still in about a little bit with processing what forgiveness looks like for me towards this man. And even though there are times when I'd rather be angry, I know that the cross tells me that I have to forgive this man. How can I believe the gospel and also withhold forgiveness? I have been saved from so much. I have sinned against God so horribly. Yet he extends his hands to me and says, son, come home. Son, come home. And he says that to you today. Now listen, it's taken some counseling. It's taken time. And it's taken strength from the Holy Spirit. But God has been helping me with this. And he can help you. Here's the last one I'll mention today, and it's pride. Pride. So pride is the underlying sin of all anger, right? You know, anger rooted in pride is essentially us having a small view of our own sinfulness that leads us to think that the problem is always with someone else and not us. As believers, we should be the most unoffendable people on the planet, Why? Because we are a sinner first and sinned against second. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We are unoffendable because we were so offensive to God. Yet he welcomed us home. And because of that, we can extend grace to other people. So the first way that we murder people in our hearts is with anger. Let's look at the second way we murder people in our hearts. That's insulting others. Jesus said, whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. Let me start by saying this. When you cast insults at another person, you are actively trying to dehumanize them. Actually, no, it's actually worse than that. You're trying to strip the image of God off of them. It's as if they're standing right here in front of everyone and you are trying to strip them naked in front of everyone to see. That's horrible. You know, how many of you have ever made fun of someone either in front of their face or behind their back? You know, our culture commendably has been going hard against bullying, you know, which is awesome. Bullying is terrible. But adults, listen, we still do this, but we do it a lot more subtle. We talk badly about someone and we tear them down. I mean, how many of us have done this in traffic? Some of us murdered eight people on the way to church this morning, right? You know, and sometimes this stuff, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but how many times have we said this to another family member? My sister is such a, you fill in the blank. She didn't think of us at all when she decided to make this decision. Or at the office, we do this by not assuming the best in other people, which is the posture of what a Christian should be, and we jump to conclusions. And then we look at our office mate and say, this guy, this guy's an idiot. Can you believe that decision? 
Or we just, or instead of that, we just actually walk right into the office and tell them they're an idiot to their face, and we ream them out. I hope this goes without saying, but it's got to be said, there's no justification for trying to strip someone's image off of them through insults. There's just no place for that with, for, for believers. You know, and it doesn't matter if you feel wrong. That's irrelevant. These people are made in the image of God. They're image bearers, and we should not strip their image from them through insults. But let's not skip over Jesus' last words here. Jesus said that if you insult someone, you are subject to the court. And if, someone, and if you call someone a fool, you are subject to hellfire. I mean, sheesh, this sounds kind of harsh. So insulting people being subject to hell? Is that right? I think our natural instinct is to say, no, that feels kind of harsh. But then we look at the Ten Commandments. How well have we done in this Ten Commandments series? Right? What we see is that we are all deplorable. We deserve condemnation. It seems like at every turn, our desire is to do evil things. We deserve the wrath of God. We do. That's what we deserve. You know, one of my favorite things to do, you know, in ministry is to go out and share the gospel on college campuses. And every time I go and share the gospel, I kind of get into the same conversation. You know, I'm sharing with them. I'm trying to show them their need for Jesus, uh, you know, because their sin has separated them from a loving God, but God came to save them. Um, so I'm, I'm in this conversation with them, and I usually get this comment. Okay, so Scott, you're telling me that I'm a sinner. Is that what you're saying? And I'm like, yes, that is what I'm saying. Well, I'm not that bad of a person. It's not like I've ever killed anybody. That's almost always what they say. It's not like I've ever killed anybody. And I say, okay. And then typically what I do is I pull out my phone, and you know, I put it you know, on my chest and like this. And I say, okay, imagine, imagine that you were wearing a necklace. And at the end of it was your phone, right here. At the end of it was your phone. And your phone showed every single thought that ever went through your mind. Everyone could see what you were thinking at all times because it would be displayed on your phone. Let me ask you this question. Do you think you would have very many friends? Because I know I wouldn't. Why? Because, because we think horrible things all the time. And then I try to explain them that God doesn't judge us primarily by what we do with our hands, but also what we do with our hearts. And then I try to show them that, that, God, that because of our sin, we are desperately wicked and in need of a Savior. We need a Savior that lived perfectly for us. And then I try to give them hope found in Christ and in the gospel. Now, this leads to our last section. So where do we go from here? So here's what we know. What we know is that we are all serial murderers in here, okay? Just get that out on the table. That, that's what we are. So what hope is there for us? What hope is there? Well, there's one thing that Jesus prescri prescribed. Let's look at it. Verse 23, Matthew 5. So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, you leave your gift in front of the altar, go be reconciled with your brother or sister, and come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, the judge to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. So where do we go from here? Here's what Jesus is telling us. Write this down. 
We need to seek reconciliation. We need to seek reconciliation. Jesus tells them that if they know that someone has something against them, to to not leave a gift at the altar. Don't do that. Go and reconcile with that person. And I think it's safe to say the opposite is true. If you know that you've wronged someone, you need to go and you need to try and reconcile. Now for us, we don't offer sacrifices anymore at church. We don't do that anymore because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice in our place. But the New Testament way that we do that is by taking communion. You know, communion is a celebration and a reflection of Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the cross. Jesus died so that we didn't have to. That's something we should celebrate. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but as a church, we celebrate communion on the first Sunday of every month. So this is the first Sunday of this month. But guess what? We're not taking communion this week. We're not going to do that. As we were planning the service for this week, we all sensed the Lord tell us that we needed to give ourselves a week, another week, an opportunity to reconcile with those whom we feel like we've murdered in our hearts. Because we're reminded of 1 Corinthians 11 that says this, uh, verse 27, it says, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Whoops. Let each person examine himself this, uh, in this way, eat the bread and drink from the cup. Whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks condemnation on himself. Church, we want you to take this week and pray. Some of you have been thinking all sermon about the person you might need to be reconciling with. And I think it would honor the Lord and it would set many of us free from bondage if we took this week and confessed our murderous hearts to the Lord and confessed it to those whom we've wronged. So next week we're going to take communion and we're going to take it rightly. And my prayer is that this will be the most worshipful communion we've ever had. That's my prayer for us. All right, so here's the second thing I think we need to take away. We need to use our hands and our hearts to bring about human flourishing. We need to use our hands and our hearts to bring about human flourishing. So, I know, so we now know that we use our hands and our hearts to murder, but we need to use our hands and our hearts to bring about human flourishing. Church, we can't be people who are known for what we don't do. We need to be known for what we do. And let me just slow down for a second because there are probably numerous people in here, I'm sure, that might have murdered someone with their hands or maybe even helped someone murder. And if that's true, yes, it was terrible, but but here's what you need to hear this morning. But Jesus has swallowed every bit of condemnation for you. At the hands of sinners, at the hands of sinners, Jesus was flogged and he was beaten and he was spat upon. They beat him so badly that he barely even looked human. Those same hands nailed Jesus through his hands and his feet so that he could look at you now and declare that your sin is no more. 
In Christ, you have been bought. Your freedom from your past has been purchased so that for the rest of your days, your hands can bring about the flourishing of image bearers all over the world. So care for the widow. Adopt the orphan. Clothe the naked. Use your hands to hug those in grief and bring healing through them. It's amazing what your hands, when you go and lay hands on someone to hug them, how much they can feel the presence of God in that moment. Use your hands for flourishing. Listen, God is not done with you. You are not too far gone. Or maybe you've been angry and you've been murdering people in your heart through insults or maybe actually casting insults. And you need to know that Jesus carried the cross to Calvary. Anger was spewed from the mouths of those whom he came to save. They maligned him. They defamed his name. They insulted him. At the top of the cross, they nailed a sign above his head that said, King of the Jews, look, he's dying. Come on, Jesus, get off the cross if you're God. Get off the cross if you're God. Let's gamble for his clothes. They tried to humiliate the Savior of the world. And he looked down on them and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Today you need to know that Christ was insulted and died so that you, the angry insulter, could be saved. He didn't do it because he had to. He did it because he wanted to. He loves you. So if you are a murderer of the heart, or if, you, if you've used words to murder people, today he tells you to use your words to bring life. To speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. To speak winsomely against injustice. Not with anger, but speak winsomely against injustice. Use your words to encourage your friends. Tell people how you see Jesus in them. Call out their spiritual gifts when you see them. Let your words be full of grace and life. And may it never be that anyone who ever talks with you doesn't leave encouraged. Make it a point that if someone in the church or even outside of the church comes to you to talk to you, may it be that they leave encouraged. As we close today, I want to take a moment to pray. Will you pray with me? God, we know where we stand. God, we know that you had to be murdered so that we could be saved. That you had to be killed so that we didn't have to be. God, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for your grace towards us. Lord, we all know that we are murderers of the heart. But we also know what Romans 8 says, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we are children of yours, then we know our sins are no more. But God, I also know that there are people in here that have not surrendered their lives to you. 
And Lord, I know that all they need to believe is in your sacrifice for them because you lived these commands out perfectly for them so that they, they didn't have to. You died a death for them so that they didn't have to. You rose from the grave so that we could be reconciled back to you. And all they need to do is to turn to you. God, help them do that today. God, we love you. Lord, we love you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.